Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me again today. It's a pretty fine day. Um, it's the beginning of May and I cannot believe that it's May. April just completely flew by and actually ended pretty dramatically with a storm that rolled through that brought some hail and lots of rain. And even though that hail kind of damaged some of my plants, um, it was great because we sure can use every last drop to keep us out of drought as we head into summertime. The rain has been really wonderful for my garden and the peaches on my trees are looking great. They are the best that they have been in years. And my strawberries are producing lots of juicy red fruits. Um, I gotta say, Fresh picked strawberries warmed by the sun. They are just so good. Um, Sweet, sometimes a little tart, and just full of that wonderful flavor. And, you know, it's really a, a good, memorable crop like I'm having this year that keeps me planting strawberries. Um... And you know what? I wasn't even going to, uh, grow strawberries this year. Um, because my efforts last year were just terrible and not so great the year before, but I impulse purchased some plants earlier in the year and I'm so glad I did because the strawberries are doing so great. Also around my garden, it's time to dig up the potatoes. They are starting to lean over, and as soon as they start to turn yellow, I'm going to start pulling them up. It shouldn't be, you know, less than a week. I think they'll be ready to go. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I get a nice harvest. Um, Since the potatoes are underground, it's hard to know what the progress is and what's really going on below the surface. In a way, it's kind of like unwrapping a gift, and I'm not really sure what I'm going to get. Um, I'm hoping that the recent rains um, helped with my potatoes, too. So I will get those dug up, and I'll let you know what all I got. The bugs and the pests are really starting to show up around my place. I have planted cucumbers twice now. I had a row of cucumbers that I replanted um, right before I went on vacation. And that was to replace cucumbers I had planted previously. Some just didn't come up. And then something has been coming around and then biting them off right at the base. And it's weird. Sometimes the seedlings just completely disappear. Other times the stem is chomped off and left right next to it. So I am very sure something is eating it. 
I don't think it's a bug. I think it's like a caterpillar. It's not a bug. It's like a rabbit or some small critter like, I don't know, maybe a squirrel. I don't know if squirrels eat um, seedlings. Bunnies will, though. Well, whatever it is, it, it is definitely chomping it off. It's not like yanking it out of the ground because the soil isn't disturbed. Uh, I don't really know what it is. It's weird and very annoying. I planted the second round of cucumbers, the second attempt anyway, of cucumbers the week before last because I was hoping that they would just pop up while I was on vacation. And two came up, but... They didn't last very long before something made a snack of them. Well, um, the planting window for cucumbers is pretty much now. Um, this very first week of May is the last chance for me to plant a third round of cucumbers. Now, I do, I do have like four plants growing in another section of the garden. So I should have some cucumbers this year. Um, we really do enjoy cucumbers, and I would like to have some more. So I am going to go ahead and try again. In better news, my tomatoes are starting to get pretty big, and I have some tiny fruits starting to form on a couple of plants, and my blackberries are starting to blossom, and I'm also looking forward to having blackberries um, in a couple months with the warmer days um, in May. This is really the last chance to plant green beans, lima beans, Swiss chard, cucumbers, and summer squash seeds. If you have eggplant and tomato seedlings, get those in the ground. You know, I really do try to stick to the planting guide for Williamson or Travis County and I, I do the best that I can. I mean, busy, busy people, sometimes it gets hard to uh, stick to the guide and hit those planting windows, but I really do try to get um, them planted as soon as I can. But I'm also going to go with my gut on planting right now. So far, I felt like April, March and April were mild. So I'm thinking that if I hurry and get things planted this week, it'll be okay. Um, I'm definitely not going to wait another two weeks because that just won't work out. So really try to get one last round of summer favorites in the ground this weekend. Even though the window is closing for those seeds, May is still a great time for planting heat-loving seeds. All May long, we can plant cantaloupe, warm-season greens, okra, southern peas, sweet potato slips, pumpkin, winter squash, and watermelons. Winter squash takes a little while to mature. They can take like up to three months to grow and set fruit and then be on the vine and develop that hard tough skin that helps them stay um, fresh so that you can store them but 
I don't know if you know, many of them can be picked green and used just like summer squash or zucchini. Um, pumpkins can be. If you happen to get a lot of pumpkins on the vine, you can harvest a few when they're still green and small and just use those like zucchini. Tromboncino and tatumi are two dual purpose varieties that do really great for us here in Central Texas. They can be used as like a summer squash or if you just let them um, stay on the vine, they will develop a hard shell and you can keep them longer in your house. But, you know, all squash, you have to watch, watch out for the squash vine borers. Well, you know, just a, a bit ago, I quickly mentioned that I had been on vacation. We were out of town for a week. My husband and I went to South Korea. It was a business trip for him, but I was able to tag along. And I got to say, it was amazing. And I highly recommend springtime in Korea because it is just absolutely beautiful beautiful. I have no doubt that it's beautiful any time of the year, but springtime was pretty spectacular. Now, the trip was supposed to be timed so that we would get there during cherry blossom blooming, but this year they bloomed 10 days earlier than expected, so we missed out on the big spectacular bloom. There were a few trees that still had blossoms, but we totally missed the peak, unfortunately. And I wasn't the only one disappointed. Um, there was supposed to be a huge cherry blossom festival um, to take place in Seoul, but it was canceled due to the early flush of blossoms. So I know that there were lots of people disappointed, especially the organizers. I'm sure that that was a hard thing for them to decide to do, but you know, every single person who had mentioned the cherry blossoms and that we had missed them, they had the same explanation. They all said global warming. And that really amazed me. I mean, that's what I figured caused it. I mean, here in Central Texas, we are starting to feel the effects of changing weather patterns and climate change, you know, extended droughts, long, hot, Hotter than, nor you know, historically um, temperatures during the summer. Crazy winter weather. Our weather, pa weather patterns are absolutely changing. But even knowing that global warming is happening, you know, here in the U.S., we don't really talk about global warming as a straight-up fact. I mean, probably because there are so many people who are very vocal in denying it, and if they don't seem to have any problem chastising you for even talking about it. But, you know, there in Korea, it's accepted, and they have no problem stating it as a fact. The cherry blossoms bloomed nearly two weeks early because of climate change caused by man-made pollution and greenhouse gases. So if you're like me, um, you know, cherry blossoms are probably not really known in 
Korea or, you know, like I automatically think Japan because it's the most famous for their cherry trees. And I never, you know, realized cherry blossoms were so remarkable in Korea. Not until I started reading up about visiting Korea. Cherry trees are native to the southern portion of South Korea. The king cherry tree is a native Korean variety. Uh, it's in, um, it's indigenous to far south Korea and Jeju Island, which is the little island off the southern part of the Korean peninsula. Most of the cherry trees in Korea are actually a Japanese ornamental variety called Yoshino. And Yoshino cherries are all over the place. And depending on who you talk to, they're a little controversial. The older generation has an opinion about them. It's valid. Um, Younger people, they enjoy them for them. But let me explain. Because there are so many Yoshino cherry trees that were imported and planted when Japan occupied Korea from 1910 to 1945. So Japan invaded in 1910 and Korea became part of the Japanese empire. And Korea was a colony until Japan surrendered at the end of World War II. The Japanese planted their favorite cherry trees, the Yoshino, all over Korea, but especially planted a whole bunch all around the Korean royal palaces. And they did this as a display of dominance and cultural superiority. So when Japan surrendered and left Korea, many Koreans chopped down Yoshino cherry trees because to them, they represented occupation. But, you know, at some point, the Korean people realized that they missed the beauty of the cherry, cherry blossoms, and they decided to replant the exact same kind of cherry tree because they grew so well in Korea and possibly even better than the native Korean king cherry. So Yoshino cherries are non-native but adaptive species there. All right, I'm going to speculate about this because I'm just really guessing at it. Obviously, the Korean people grew to love the beautiful Yoshino cherry tree. And I'm kind of guessing that they figured if they replanted them, it's not quite as bad as when the Japanese did. I get it. I mean, I can have kind of a petty mindset sometimes. Um, So I'm guessing that they were probably like, well, those trees were planted by the Japanese, and we hate them for taking over and occupying our country, so we're going to cut down all of those trees. But we're going to replace them with new trees, and it's going to be fine because we planted them. So... Thanks for the idea, Japan. We're going to have our own awesome cherry trees all over Korea, and 
we're going to be known for it and people are going to come visit and it's going to be cool. So thanks. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But it, if that's the case, whatever the reason why they replanted the Yoshinos, it was a really good idea because the native king cherries really only thrive in the southern part of South Korea, and it's kind of unusual to find them outside of that region. I, it, either the king or the Yoshinos, whatever, I would have loved to have been there at the right time to see the cherry blossoms blooming. And I know it would have been beautiful because I lived in Northern Virginia, um, close to Washington, D.C., when I was in high school. And D.C. is also known for their cherry blossoms. The Japanese actually donated thousands of them, and they planted them in D.C., and they flourished. So I can attest to how amazing it is to be around thousands of cherry trees when they are in full bloom. The particular street that I lived on when um, we were there, it was lined on both sides of the street with double ornamental cherry trees. And each spring, it was just incredible. The trees were beautiful. And one of my favorite things was when the petals would fall and float to the ground, they would build up like a thin layer of pale pink snow. And it was Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. So if you can't make it to Korea or Japan, highly recommend going to Washington, D.C. during cherry blossom season. It's a lot easier to get there, but also pretty spectacular. While I was a little disappointed to miss the cherry tree blossoms, um... I wasn't put out for too long because the azaleas more than made up for it. Azaleas grow everywhere in Korea. And when I say they are literally everywhere, I am not kidding. From the moment we stepped out of the airport terminal in Incheon, I saw pink and red and white and even lilac colored azaleas all over the place, in every city that we went to, and everywhere in between. Azaleas are small shrubs that are members of the rhododendron family. They bloom in the springtime, and their flowers stay quite bright and vibrant for weeks. In Korea, the azaleas start blooming um, mid-late March, depending on where you are, and they stay in bloom pretty much all through April. April, And we were there in mid-April, and there were no signs of them fading. They were gorgeous. Azaleas are native to the Korean Peninsula. The predominant species there is called the royal azalea. It's the uh, dominant understory shrub that grows wild in the Korean mountains and along the hillside forest, but they've been introduced as landscaping shrubs in all the towns and cities across Korea. Left to grow naturally, royal azaleas can get to be 15 feet tall, but depending on the location in the landscape, 
they can be pruned by half and kept neat and trimmed so that they're, they stay about mm, three to six feet tall and still produce lots of lovely blossoms. Azaleas are really stunning in full bloom. The entire bush bursts with the vibrant blossoms. Um, they eventually fall and give way to dark green glossy leaves. Azaleas are semi-evergreen, so meaning they hang on to their leaves longer than other deciduous plants, but they don't stay completely green. The leaves eventually will drop. Azaleas are acid-loving plants. They love well-draining soil that has a pH around 5 or 6, which is the exact opposite of the type of soil that we have here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas. Here east of I-35, we have that heavy black clay soil that is very alkaline. So azaleas are not going to grow here if we plant them directly into our soil, not without some serious soil amendment to acidify the soil. Now, I know there's some beautiful azaleas in Zilker Park Botanical Gardens in Austin, but that is about the only place that you're going to find azaleas growing and thriving in our part of Central Texas, and that's because they have people who are able to modify the soil, they can test it, and amend as needed. But in Korea, total different story. Their soil is much different than what we have. It's much more sandy and silty, and between all the pine trees and the azaleas that grow there, it's definitely acidic. Pine trees also love it there too. Early spring in Central Texas is my favorite time of the year, and it's the perfect time to plant summer favorites like beans, corn, cucumbers, and squash, all from seed. True Leaf Market has been selling heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. They offer a huge selection of seeds of all kinds, veggies, herbs, flowers, grains, cover crops, specialty seeds, and even sprouting and microgreen seeds. Whether you need just a small packet with a few seeds or several pounds, True Leaf Market offers sizes for everyone, from the home gardener to professional growers. Order online at trueleafmarket.com. Be sure to use promo code PLOWHOSE10 and take 10% off your order at trueleafmarket.com. Spring in Central Texas is here, and if you're interested in growing some of your own produce or you just want to add new plants to your landscape, let Taylor Garden Center help. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought-tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments and organic products. Springtime is the best time to plant summer and fall blooming bulbs, and Taylor Garden Center is stocked with all your favorites. Plus, they have added bulk summer flower seeds so you can purchase as much or as little as you desire. Selection is still great if you need fruit and nut trees, so come by and check out all the quality trees and look for special pricing. Shop local 
and head over to Taylor Garden Center, located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Also, head over to Amazon or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plan Host Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading Plan Host po- um, episodes, it does provide me with some statistics. I love traveling and going places and checking out the scenery. Some places, you know, they're just okay and don't inspire me and I don't have a big desire to go back, but I am definitely ready to go back to Korea um, for several reasons. Not only the landscape, I really enjoyed the landscape, the hills and the mountains and the coastline. The Korean Peninsula is beautiful. I do love Taylor and Central Texas. And every now and then, still, after being here for 20 years, our big blue sky just hits me sometimes, like the very first time I saw it. And I get a bit awestruck by our Texas sky. It's just huge, huge, and full of white fluffy clouds. It's, it's beautiful. Um, so I was glad to come home, but it's exciting to check out new places. And Korea is wonderful. Since they have the exact opposite type of soil than we have in Taylor, we have the heavy black clay alkaline soil, and they have more sandy, silty, acidic soil. They have a lot of plants that just don't grow here without a whole lot of soil amendment and um, maintenance. Thanks to their acidic soil, pine trees are very prevalent, and so are Japanese maples and ginkgos. As far as temperature and climate go, Korea, where we were in Korea, it seems to be a few weeks behind us. It was just starting to leaf out and turn green. Our fruit trees in central Texas typically blossom and fully leaf out um, in March. In Korea, things are just starting to leaf out. So I would guess Seoul is probably four to six weeks behind us because it was just starting to get um, lush and leafy. Pine trees of course, are evergreen, but springtime is when pine needles put on new growth. Um, pine, pine trees don't drop all of their needles, but they do shed a lot right before they put on new growth. And since we were in Korea, right around the time the trees had started getting lush and leafy, I noticed something about the pine trees in the city of Suwon which is a city that we stayed in. Um, it's about an hour south of Seoul. All In all of the parks in Siwan, and on the pine trees, I noticed these little white and blue tags that were tacked 
to the pine trees. Um, the tags were written in Hangul, which is the uh, character system for Korean language. I pulled up my phone. I had a really handy translation app that I could just scan the tag and it would translate each word. And basically it said, treated for pine wilt. So, you know, being a curious plant person, uh, I Googled that. I've heard of oak wilt, but since we don't really have pine trees around here, I've never heard of pine wilt. And I, I thought it might be similar. Oak wilt, though, is a fungal disease and is spread by spores. When the spores land on exposed areas of an oak tree, like broken branch or cut in the tree from trimming, or other damage to the protective bark, the fungal spores get in there and start multiplying, and very quickly they form fungal mats that start to clog up the tree's vascular system, um, which is the system that moves water through the tree. When it gets clogged up, there's lack of moisture, and this is what causes the leaves to wilt, and the spores just keep multiplying and clogging up the um, vascular system, and the tree can't get nutrients and eventually dies. Now, pine wilt is similar. It causes the needles and the branches to droop and wilt, and also slowly kills the pine trees. But the cause of the wilt is very different. Pine wilt is caused by nematodes. Nematodes are tiny microscopic worms, round worms, that infest pine trees. These pine wood nematodes are primarily spread by beetles that, um, the nematodes live inside the beetles. The nematodes spread when beetles start to nibble on the new spring growth on the pine branches. The nematodes get into the pine tree. They reproduce very, very quickly. And with such great numbers, they eventually clog up the tree's vascular system similar to the fungus. And the nematode colonies, it clogs up the vascular system, it disrupts the water flow, and the branches also can't produce resin, which is that sticky substance that pine trees produce when they're injured. So it can't protect itself, and it can't have nutrient water flow. And pine wood nematodes, they just keep reproducing just like the fungal oak wilt, and it kills the it kills the pine trees. I did a little internet research and learned that pine wilt is a pretty big problem in Korea, and it can spread so rapidly. So it was a preventative measure um, for these pine trees in the parks in Siwon. Um, they had been treated with something um, to prevent the nematodes from infesting the trees. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm guessing it was some sort of pesticide for the beetles or maybe like an inoculate treatment for nematodes. 
while we were in Korea a couple of weeks ago, we stayed in um, two cities. We stayed in Suwon, the city that is about an hour southwest of Seoul. And then we also stayed in downtown Seoul, which was very close to City Hall. There are two City Hall buildings the old one, which was built in 1925 during the Japanese occupation. It's a big brick building um, that is a really good example of Japanese imperial crown architecture, um, a classic example if you're into architecture. But right behind it is a newer, massive, modern building that is the new city hall. And if you are into architecture, it is pretty amazing. It is a wavy and undulating building, and it's all glass. The glass panes are triangles. It's triangular. They're not square or rectangular. So I guess the shape allows it to have all those curves and it's very distinct and beautiful. But the best part is at night, it's all lit up and it glows purple. It's totally unique and so impressive. And I really wanted to go inside, but um, that was not part of our trip this time. Um, But yeah, look up the uh, new city hall in Seoul and you can see pretty amazing pictures of it. Well, one morning we got up early to go walk around. Um, I don't know. It wasn't terribly early. It was probably eight, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, not a a whole ton of people were out, um, at that time. Um, not exactly sure why it's, it wasn't all that busy, but, um, there were three workers out on the Great Lawn out in front of City Hall. It's this giant grassy area. Now, um, I'm not a lawn person, so I couldn't tell you exactly what kind of grass it was, but it was very fine and short, um, kind of like, you know, golf course grass. And, you know, the lawn area to me really wasn't remarkable. It was nice to, to have a nice swath of grass right there in downtown Seoul. Um, but what was much more interesting were the three landscapers who were out there. They were out there hand picking weeds in the lawn. And that was incredible. Um, you just never see that kind of thing here in the States. We would just squirt some weed killer on the grass and walk away and leave it to die and leave a dead spot in the grass. And I really have no idea how long these guys were out there, but their bags were stuffed full of little non-grass plants, just stuffed full of weeds that they had um, plucked from the lawn. Uh, I thought it was kind of crazy, and I was really impressed. Um, Honestly, I would have just probably left them maybe mowed over them when they got too tall. But I was really impressed that the city of Seoul hired three people to hand pull weeds from their city hall lawn. It was pretty cool. There are like 51 million people who live in 
all of South Korea, and nearly 10 million live in Seoul. But it is amazingly clean and surprisingly quiet for such a densely populated city. And Seoul is also very beautiful, and it has lots and lots of trees. I had remarked to one of our interpreters just how incredibly beautiful the cities are, and she kind of explained that Koreans um, carry on their ancestors' values, or they try to, they are determined to live with nature and not just totally pave over every green space. There definitely is a lot of concrete and there are also lots and lots of trees and all the landscaping is very carefully taken care of. There are actually lots of old growth trees in downtown Seoul, not just in the parks, but very, very large street trees, trees that were planted decades ago, maybe several decades ago, and many of them that were obviously planted without irrigation lines because there were lots of big trees that had watering bags attached to them. And I was really amused because they looked like giant ivy bags to me. I mean, I work in a hospital, so I definitely recognize ivy tubing. And these big white bags filled with water, and they had like a tube that had like a little spout, and it kind of poked in to the ground like an IV. They were just big white bags filled with water, and you know, probably some fertilizer, nutrients in there. And they, they, these bags are just like strapped to, strapped to the tree. It didn't really look all that great, but it was innovative and an effective way to deliver water and nutrients in a slow drip way straight to the roots. Um, just so clever, so simple and inexpensive way to get the job done. even though I was only in South Korea for a week and I didn't get to see near as much of the country that I would have liked to, I really enjoyed my visit. And from what I experienced, it really seemed that communities across Korea make nature and beauty a priority. There are a whole lot of people in South Korea and the entire country of South Korea is only about the size of Indiana, but it was very beautiful and I would love to go back and I really would love to visit Seoul in the fall when the ginkgo trees turn gold. I am pretty fond of ginkgo trees. I think they're very lovely trees. I love the leaves. Um, when I went to um, school at University of Arkansas, there were several ginkgos around campus. Ginkgo um, biloba trees are actually really fascinating. They are one of the very oldest tree species. They were around with the dinosaurs. Um, there actually used to be other varieties in the ginkgo tree family 
because um, we know this because there are fossilized remains of at least 15 different ginkgos, but only ginkgo biloba exists today, and they are amazingly tough trees. They are highly resistant to fungal diseases, and in- insects are absolutely not interested in them at all. Plus, they are also very pretty trees, and they have um, a unique fan-shaped leaf that is kind of like a light lime green color that turns just a stunning golden yellow in the fall. Ginkgos can grow up to 50 feet tall with canopies that spread 30 feet wide. Not only are they disease and pest resistant, they actually thrive in urban environments and they are unfazed by heat and air pollution and cramped growing conditions. Ginkgos will also tolerate salts in the soil more so than other trees. They tolerate pretty much all soil types and they seemingly can grow anywhere. Um, Although they don't really do well in very warm places and they don't like hot, dry climates at all, which is probably a reason why they aren't prevalent here in Central Texas. Ginkgos do best in zones three through eight and we are in 8B, so we are just really a shade too warm and too dry for them. Ginkgos are long-lasting trees, too. They live a very, very long time. Ginkgos can live to be 3,000 years old. That's amazing. They are native to China, Japan, and Korea. Um, Korea has several ancient ginkgos more than that are more than a thousand years old. There's um, one that's like 1,200 years old, and that's amazing, especially considering that Korea has historically been a war-torn country. It has been invaded so many times by the Chinese, the Japanese. Um, Russians, everybody wants a piece of Korea. So with all the bombing and everything that has happened to that country, for these ginkgo trees to have survived all of that is amazing. <laughs> they are cra- that that's crazy amazing that they are such survivors. So really, It's no surprise that back in the early 70s, the city of Seoul adopted the ginkgo as the official city tree, and they began planting them all over the city to provide shade and beauty and to also help improve the air quality in a rapid growing city. 50 years later, Seoul has more than 145,000 ginkgo trees that line the streets and fill the parks. In October, the ginkgo leaves change color and drop, and the streets look like they are littered with millions of golden fan-shaped ginkgo leaves. Looking at the pictures online, it's incredible. 
I can't wait to see it. Ginkgo biloba is also prized for its medicinal properties. The leaves are used to create an extract that is taken to improve brain function. It's supposed to help improve blood flow, and many people take it to prevent memory loss and to stave off dementia. The female ginkgo trees produce fruits, and the kernels inside of these little round ginkgo fruits are quite nutritious, and they have significant amounts of major minerals and vitamins. Now, Despite all of these amazing characteristics of ginkgo trees, not everybody likes them because they are kind of a nuisance. Not all of them. The male trees are fine. It's just the female fruit-bearing trees that have people upset. And that's because the fruit contains compounds that make the pulp inedible. They contain a chemical that's really similar to that in poison ivy. So you really need to wear gloves if you touch the little small cherry-sized fruits. Now, you can boil, uh, you can peel off that pulp and then boil and roast the kernels to remove those compounds. Um, You know, once you do that, uh, then the kernels are safe to eat and, and People enjoy them as little snacks, but it's not just the irritants in the pulp that makes the female trees very unpopular because those compounds that are irritating to um, skin also produce horrible smell, like a disgusting, fetid, putrid, nasty odor when the fruits are ripe and it's it's really bad when they split open or they're like crushed and they drop to the ground and they split open and supposedly it smells like vomit and poop and rotten rotten eggs all at the same time and I was reading online that people just, they put bags on their feet when they have to go walk in the street because the smell will ruin your shoes if you step in that mess. Now, it's just the female trees with the fruits that are hated. Um, The male trees are okay because they don't produce fruit. In some neighborhoods in Seoul, have it worse than others because they have more female trees therefore producing more fruit. These neighborhoods have taken some pretty extreme measures to eliminate the smell. Um, Some have erected nets to catch the falling fruit. They sort of look like an inside-out umbrella um, that kind of surrounds the base of the canopy, and they open up these nets to catch all the fruit. Other neighborhoods have mechanical shakers that go around to all the trees and shake the berries off the trees, kind of like um, pecan machines that go out through the groves and shake out all the nuts out of the trees to be harvested. 
Now, they know they know it's a problem, obviously. The city government is slowly replacing the female trees with male trees, but it's expensive. Um, it's hard to know if a tree is a male or a female until it starts to bear fruit. So, you know, two trees, and you won't be able to tell if it's a male or a female up until it starts to produce fruit. And that can take up to 15 years before a female tree produces fruit. And by the time that happens, these trees are pretty large. And the cost of removing a 15-year-old tree is about $30,000 just to remove one female ginkgo tree. City officials estimate that of all of the ginkgo trees in Seoul, 27% of them are female fruit-bearing trees. And that's about 40,000 trees that they have to replace. Some people just absolutely hate them and want them cut down. Other people don't think it's worth the expense because it only happens once a year, and the benefits far outweigh the nuisance and the stench. Even though they smell bad, I hope to get to go back to Korea and see those ginkgos in the fall. I really want to go see the cherry blossoms in spring, but I don't know. I also want to go see, I'm going to have to have a lot of money to keep traveling back and forth because I really want to see what it looks like in the fall, too. Okay, well, you know, thank you so much for joining me today and listening all about my trip. Next show, I will get back to talking about Central Texas gardening, but in the meanwhile, go check out the Plow and Host catalog. Um, I've got two years' worth of shows, and you can check out some older shows with good information on... Relevant topics like squash vine borers, planting sweet potatoes and okra, and learning all about warm season greens. So be sure to go back to the archive and go check those out. All right, until next time, bye. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.